you have to qualify whether or not it's a real objection, right? So um, I think it was Harvard Business Review. They said, you know, 90% uh, of the time, somebody who says that money is the objection, it's not actually the objection. Welcome to the Raw and Real podcast. Are you dreaming of changing your life through opening a business? Or are you curious what obstacles entrepreneurs had to overcome on their journey? Then you're in the right place. My name is Agnes Billig and I'm your host. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It would really mean a lot to me if you would join my Facebook group, Ron Real Talks, that I can get to know you better and interact more with you on a personal level. So I hope to see you there. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Raw and Real. Today's guest on the show is Jessica Lorimer. She's the UK's most influential sales coach for service-based entrepreneurs looking to sell to corporate companies and add profitable corporate revenue streams to their business. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Awesome. So I'm really excited to dive into your story first a little bit. So I'm wondering, how did you discover your passion for sales in the first place? As often people see sales as something that's not super fun. I think it's one of those things. I don't think any, any child kind of wakes up and thinks, oh, I'd love to be a salesperson. I, I think, um, you know, it's not necessarily a vocation in life. Although I do have a friend who did apparently want to be in sales from when he was like 16. So who knows? For me, I happened to stumble into sales because I got fired from a coffee making job. I, my first ever job was making coffee. I was about 15. And I went to work for this cafe, a local one. And I managed to make 17 cups of cold coffee using one of these professional coffee making machines. And I didn't even make it to the end of my shift. The, the manager came up to me and said, look, I just, I don't think this is for you. You know, we've, we've literally never had this before. We think you should just, you know, go home and, and find something else that's a bit more suitable. So I went and sat outside um, a shop. I was waiting for my bus to come and I got chatting to this lady who was looking in the window for some jewellery um, for her uh, granddaughter at the time. And we got to chatting because I was a similar age and we were talking about the sort of things that she might like. And I said to the lady, I was like, look, I've got, you know, 25 minutes. Um, I can come in with you if you want some help, but I can come in and, and we can try some stuff on. And so we went in and, and we were trying things on and the manager over there came over to us and, and said, how are you doing? And, and she said, oh, is the jewelry for you? And I said, oh, no, no, it's her granddaughter. I just met her outside. And we got to chatting and, and the manager said, well, if you want a job here, you know, come and, come and start like tomorrow. So I was like, oh, brilliant. And, and that's how I ended up um, in a sales job because I got fired from somewhere else, basically. And obviously I just kind of stuck with it. When I was at university, I got headhunted by a uh, FTSE 250 company. Um, and I was, I was really fortunate. My, my previous job had said, if you want to do it, you know, take a sabbatical, we'll keep your job open for six months and you can go and try it, try working in the city, see what it's like. If you hate it, you can come back. Um, and after about three days, I was like, I love it. I'm staying. Thank you. But you know, I'm, I'm done. And, and I've been in sales ever since so about, oh, yeah, 15 years now. Wow, that's uh, so cool. And uh, because you were working before really at those big corporate companies, so uh, how did the transition for you go into being your own boss and like opening up your own thing? Well, I think it's one of those things. I don't think that anybody manages that transition particularly well. And what I mean by that isn't an offensive, you know, everybody sucks. But I, I think the first three months in business after you leave a corporate job, it's something that I did. It's something I see a lot of people do. 
is they kind of have this moment where they breathe out. So you walk out of a corporate environment, which is super structured, where you're being checked in on regularly, you've got regular KPIs that you need to hit, you're having performance management reviews and all this kind of thing. And then suddenly you can get up whenever you want. And nobody is there being like, oh, you've got to have this meeting at nine o'clock or you've got to do this at half past eight. And so actually you just have about three months where you kind of settle into what is your new normal, you know, and what is um, going to be most beneficial for you. Now, my first three months in business absolutely sucked. I built my business whilst I was still working for my corporate company. Um, and during that time, I was making money and it was, it was going really well and it was easy. So when I gave up my job, I was like, well, this is going to be fine. Because I had those three months of just breathing out, actually it didn't. It sucked. I was, instead of signing sort of three or four clients a month, I was signing one or two. And, you know, you, you have that moment of the kind of dark night of the soul where you think, oh, is this for me? am I going to be able to make this happen? Am I really doing the right things? And when I looked at it, the answer was no. You know, ultimately I'd, I'd come out of my job. I'd forgotten everything I'd ever learned about time management, about performance management, about setting um, and achieving goals. And so the reality was that I wasn't achieving in the same way. Um, so I had to really look at that and I had to plan it differently and think about you know, what I wanted um, from my business and, and how I wanted to operate to set myself some KPIs in my own business. And once I did that, I went from, you know, really struggling, really finding it difficult, really having to work hard, albeit on the wrong things, um, to make money, to finding it much easier, to it becoming a much smoother process and to being one of those irritating people who did go on to make six figures in six months. So when we look at the sales process in general, what do you think is, in your opinion, um, the best structure of the process when it comes to like touch points and how many calls you should have with someone and just like everything in between? So it's different, really. If you're looking at B2C, so business to consumer, that's going to be very different. And, you know, it's a much harder market, uh, particularly right now. I mean, we're heading into a recessive period um, it, here in the UK alone. The government has kind of predicted that each household over the next 12 months will lose £9,000. So if you're selling B2C, it is going to be much harder for the next 12 months because as we do head into recessions, people want more, they, they want more reassurance that what they're going to be buying is going to be the right fit, is going to get them the exact transformation they want um, and that it's going to be quicker and easier than doing it anywhere else. And that's why ultimately if you're selling B2C, people do have to do more work. You know, they are having to have more touch points. Um, they're having to operate on social media. They're having to post regularly. They're having to um, create email newsletters. They're probably having to have um, discovery calls. And, you know, as we head into that period, you're only going to have more. Now, traditional sales advice would say you need seven touch points with somebody in order to get them to buy. That hasn't been looked at in a while. So, you know, I, I couldn't say that it's the definitive number um, because I don't know that it is. I don't think that anybody knows whether it is or not. They'd need to do more up-to-date surveys for that. But I think if you're selling B2C, it's, it's important that you are not just running into the social media pool and, and shouting about something because that's not actually a sales activity. And that's the biggest problem with people who do sell business to consumer is that they do a lot of the wrong activities. So it's not even, you know, how many times do you need to do this? It's a case of what are you actually doing and are those things the right things? 
So if you're only ever posting on social media and getting likes and comments, but no sales, then you're not doing the right activity because you're not following it up with anything. There's no kind of follow-up. There's no proactive outreach. There's no external point in your sales process at which they can build a one-to-one relationship with you. Now, that changes when you're selling to corporate companies because selling to corporate companies is a lot different and it does have a more strategically defined process because you're not selling to people who are emotionally attached to what you're offering. And that's the thing. So when we sell B2C, we're talking to people's emotions when it comes to the transformation. And we're also talking to their emotions when it comes to how they want to pay for that. And so a lot of people come up against the money objection far more regularly when they're selling B2C than they would do if they were selling B2B, business to business. So when we're selling to corporates, the process is different. The process is very much, have you got clarity on what you want to sell and which industry you want to sell it to? Where's it going to be most valuable? Then you look at lead generation. What's going to be your method of attracting corporate leads? And, you know, you can use any method you want. We We teach six specific methods inside my program, but you know, they range anything from speaking for leads to networking for leads to using LinkedIn lead generation and everything in between. But you've got to pick what's best for you based on your personality and and how you like to show up. Um, The great thing about selling to corporate is that broadcast content, so just posting random things on social media, isn't necessary. So you take out some of that that work in what what you would call lead generation B2C space. You take that out when you're selling B2B. Then you've got business development. And ultimately, business development is the process of building a relationship with the correct stakeholder. So ultimately, that's about having that one-to-one conversation with them, understanding what their pain points are, understanding how it impacts them, and then being able to suggest or co-create a solution with them to make that happen and to to land that sale. Then your final points, you've got proposals, making sure you write a proposal that ultimately summarizes well enough what you've discussed in that conversation that is relevant to anybody who wasn't part of that conversation to make them understand what exactly they would be buying, how much it would be, et cetera. And then finally delivery and upsell. So making sure they have a good experience and then being able to resell within that organization or a different operating company. And what do you think is the hardest thing about like establishing this relationship with a person from a corporate company? Um, I don't think there's anything particularly hard about it if you're a normal, like if you're a normal, if you're a human being, um, we're programmed to be relatively social creatures. People make sales out to be something that's incredibly difficult and incredibly complex. And, you know, a lot of people talk about they don't like it, they don't want to do it. And, and there are a few reasons behind that. One is rejection. Nobody wants to be rejected. And when we think about B2B sales, because we're talking directly to people a lot of the time, we're doing that proactively, there seems to be more opportunity to be rejected. It's interesting though, because we don't measure our social media in the same way. You know, when we're posting out on Instagram uh, and we've got like, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000 followers, whatever that is, and you, you make a post and 20 people like it, you go, oh, well, 20 people liked it. It was great. You don't go, oh, 4,980 people didn't. That must be rejection. And, and so it's always interesting to me when people say like, you know, what's the most difficult part about connecting with a stakeholder? Well, if you're a human being, who is able to develop rapport with other human beings. Honestly, it's not that hard. Once I guess you know how, you know that the reality is that most people do it wrong because they will try and blind pitch something without knowing 
you know, what that person's pain points are. And this happens B2C as well, to be fair. You know, I'm forever getting um, LinkedIn messages and things with people who are just desperate to pitch me something. And as soon as I'm like, look, just pitch me the thing. I don't care. You don't need to ask about my dog or you don't need to ask about how my family's doing, you know, just, just pitch me the thing. Immediately they go straight into this pre-rehearsed, pre-recorded, this is what I have. Do you want it? And nine times out of 10, it's a no, because I don't know them because they have no idea what my problems are and because they haven't been able to adequately demonstrate that they can be a human being. And that's what we do. We buy from people. People buy from people. We don't buy from predefined robots who are so desperate to get something over the line that they're just going to spam everybody, right? And so when we're talking to those corporate stakeholders, that's the bit that most people find most difficult is how can I be that human being but get the information I need? And that's going to be about the questions that you ask and, and how well you listen, quite honestly. And let's say if someone is approaching you on LinkedIn and pitching you something, what's the best way how they can show that they're a human being, that you would be enthusiastic? So it's, it's interesting because I'm a salesperson. I love people pitching me generally. Um, it's just that there are quite a few interesting tactics going around and, and they have been for years. Like, let's not forget people who don't like sales. And this is always the interesting dichotomy for me really is people say, I don't like sales because it's sleazy, because it's spammy, because it's gross. And yet they are often the people who are like, right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pitch somebody in a Facebook message. or I'm going to roll into their LinkedIn DMs and be like, hey, you've got a dog. I've got a dog. Maybe we should talk. About what? Why? What, how is this going to benefit me? You know, and so when we're talking about pitching people, pitching anyone, it's a process behind it. You know, if you've just rocked up at my front door and you try and sell me something that I don't need, I'm not going to buy it. So why are people applying the same logic to LinkedIn or Facebook or any kind of social media platform? It's ridiculous. And, and so really the first thing you need to think about is if I was the consumer on the other end of this, how would I feel? So when people come into LinkedIn and they're like, oh, hi, Jess, I've never met you, but I hope your family are doing well through coronavirus. I'm like, no, you don't. You have no idea what my family's like. You don't know who they are. Why would you care? Like, and, and I know, you know, and, and we all know logically that they're trying to be nice, but actually it doesn't come across as being nice. It comes across as being quite pervasive and manipulative and that's what people don't like. So when you are trying to do it, you know, you've really got to think about what is the purpose of me connecting with this person? Are they transparently aware of what my purpose is for connecting with them? You know, and so when, when I'm teaching um, my clients how to uh, talk to stakeholders and how to build those relationships, the process of getting to the pitch may be a bit longer. You know, you might have to actually exchange two messages to book in a call to talk to them. But once you're on that call, they're already qualified. They already know that they are interested in what you want to talk about. They're already open to the idea that they will want to buy something from you. And so actually the, the process from pitch to sale is a lot quicker. And, and that's how we kind of contract that. So if you're looking to do it, you know, you've got to bear in mind, okay, well, getting to the pitch effectively is the hardest part of the sales process. So why are we just bombarding people with the pitch? Because Ultimately, we haven't had time to handle any of their objections. We don't know what their problems are. We don't know what their questions are. We don't know where they're going to want reassurance. So instead, spend some time. Try and find out those things. You know, don't bang on about something that's completely relevant. They, they don't care how you feel about their family or how you feel about their pets. Or honestly, I, nine times out of 10, you know, people are just kind of like, we know you want to pitch us. 
just get to the point. And, and if you are going down that sales route, then obviously people are just going to be like, yeah, sure, pitch, because they know that that's what you're desperate to do. They're not qualified in any way. They don't want to buy from you. They just want you to get it over and done with so you stop messaging them. And that's it. So, you know, you, you have to start thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to proactively build a relationship with these people? How am I going to find out what their pain points are? You know, that might be through your content marketing. If you're selling B2C, if you're selling B2B, it's much more direct because you are doing um, a lot more in terms of proactive content and, and proactive outreach, uh, which lends itself to booking those conversations much, much quicker. Can you give us an example of a good pitch that you heard via LinkedIn or a good like conversation example that you would recommend? I don't get any. Um, so I would say that if, I, if, if you come after this podcast and you have one that's amazing, then I'll, I'll wish that I chatted you out. Um, I think good pitches typically, typically don't happen that often. But I had a client recently who, who demonstrated a really good way of getting into a meeting with a stakeholder who had been really um, not open to connecting with people who they felt were going to be salespeople. So she sent the message that we use and, and on LinkedIn, you know, you use that as a connection message and it's basically, you know, this is what I do. This is the industry that I work in. I'd love to have a chat with you about what your company is doing with regards to the specialism that, that I have the expertise in. So she sends that message and the stakeholder comes back and says, is this going to be, you know, knowledge sharing and developing insights or is this going to be a sales call? And she went back and, um, you know, we, we'd had some kind of discussions, but she went back and she said, ultimately, every sales call is valuable because every sales call is always going to provide you with knowledge and insights. I wanted to connect based on the fact that I'm talking to companies every single day about these particular issues and their insights will be inherently useful to your company. However, if you talk about problems that I can solve, it would be irresponsible of me not to tell you how I could help you with those. So that would be the agreement of getting on a call with me that yes, you'd learn a lot about the industry and you'd gain a lot of insights, but equally I wouldn't sit and be quiet if I felt that you had a problem that I could help you with. And he accepted, you know, and, and they had a call and, and it went really, really well. And I think that's the thing. It's people will all sell differently, but probably the biggest question I get is how can I sell without selling? And the answer is you can't stop bothering, stop trying. Transparency is something that is so undervalued in the society that we live in. You know, we've forgotten how to be transparent because inherently to be transparent is something that people view as uh, potentially being negative now you know we, we worry that if we're honest people might not like our answers they might not like what we say if we are transparent about why we're connecting people might say no you know and that is their adult and empowered decision to make right but we associate transparency with negativity and that's really interesting because then especially when you look at the online space for example so many preach integrity but not transparency. And those are the people who will teach, this is how you sell without selling. And in truth, there is no way of selling without selling. If there was, salespeople would have been using it for the last hundreds of years. You know, sales is a conversation. It's a relationship and it's not always done for paid gain. You know, if you're a parent and you're listening, you have sold your child a hundred times on not eating a McDonald's, but 
eating something from your freezer instead, right? If you have a partner, you have sold them a hundred times on, I don't want to go to the cinema and see insert name of Arnold Schwarzenegger film here. I want to go and see Bridget Jones or whatever that might be. Um, in my case, definitely Bridget Jones, because it's an epic, epic film. That's the best thing that the early 2000s ever produced, I think. Um, but, you know, we're selling every day. Selling is about being able to bring somebody around to our way of thinking and let them make an empowered decision about whether that's the right thing for them to do or not. And that's what we are afraid to do. We get afraid to let people make their own decisions because we're afraid that it won't meet our agenda. And that's where people go wrong. And uh, often in these conversations, the objection comes up, we don't need to right now or uh, I don't have the money right now. So how would you tackle these most common objections? Um, you know, firstly, when we, when we talk about objections, particularly if you're playing business to consumer, you have to qualify whether or not it's a real objection, right? So I think it was Harvard Business Review. They said, you know, 98% of the time, somebody who says that money is the objection is not actually the objection, right? People say, I don't have the money because they mean, I want to say no, and I want to do it in the least offensive way possible. That's okay, you know? Equally, I'm a big girl. Like, if, if you don't want my thing, that's cool. I'm not going to cry about it. I'm not going to get upset. You know, ultimately, it's not me who's got to get the results in six months. My business is going to be fine whether you do it or don't, right? And that's the way that we have to think sometimes about sales conversations. So when we have an objection, whatever the objection is, the first thing we need to do is qualify, is this objection real? So we say to them, hey, look, you know, we've had a really honest and transparent conversation so far. And I'd really appreciate it if you could just let me know, like, is money the real objection here? Or is there something else that I haven't reassured you on? Or a question that I haven't answered that you need to know before you can make the best decision for you? And in doing that, we give that person the opportunity to think about, okay, is it just that I had sticker shock? Is it just that I don't understand something, right? And, and we give them the opportunity to have that conversation, which technically falls under objection handling, but really is questioning from their side and, and gaining reassurance. The other thing is that a no is not a no, I hate you and I will never buy from you. Unless they specifically say that, obviously, but that's quite rare. You know, a no is a not right now. And, and that's the thing. So if you've established it's a real objection and they're saying, this is a no for me right now, it's a right now. You know, they, they'll cut, circle back around. The best thing you can do is to make sure that you leave them feeling good about the process they've just been in. You know, I had um, an email a couple of days ago. I've just come off the back of a quite a busy launch. So my voice is, is going. I've talked a lot over the last week and a half. Um, but I came off the back of the launch and we had somebody who was thinking about um, buying into my program. And I'd followed up with them a couple of times and just said, hey, look, you know, it's totally on you. I don't, I don't mind. Um, but if you have any questions, just let me know. And they came back and they were like, oh, you know, right now just isn't, isn't the right time for me. And they explained why. And I was like, that's totally fine. At the end of the day, I just want you to make the best decision for you when that's right for you. You know, we'll see you in, in the um, program. And they came back and they said, um, thanks. You know, I really appreciate you not doing the, the traditional salesperson and trying to sell me on it anyway. Now, this is a minority of salespeople that will try and do this. And generally it's people who are inexperienced who will be like, but you should, you know, so the way that they handle objections is not to actually listen and think about, is this a real objection and qualify it and then move forward. 
Instead, what they do is they try and batter it down. They're like, well, you know, you can't find the money. Well, if you, if you can't find the money, you just don't want it enough. Okay, sure. Because bullying people to get into your program, that's going to make them really enjoy the sales process. That's going to make them want to spend time with you. Sure. You know, or they'll go, well, um, and this used to be prevalent about five years ago. It was awful. Well, if, if your child was sick, would you find the money to treat them? And they'd be like, well, yeah, of course. And they'd be like, well, then you just don't want it enough. Because if, if you could find the money for that, you could find the money for this. Battering down some of these objections or making them feel small or diminished is not going to get you any further in that sales process. It's going to make people quite rightly assume that you are an incredibly negative person who they don't want to spend time with. So whenever they do have the money or the time or whatever the reason is, they're not going to come back to you. And that's the thing that people don't realize. It's very, very short-sighted in the online space. People like, if, if that person doesn't buy from me now, then screw it, they're dead to me forever. And the reality is, you know, lifetime customer value is, is a huge thing. In my business, lifetime customer value of the average consumer is £22,000. So if I went and really hacked off 10% of my customers, I'd be losing £200,000 a year, potentially. Yeah, that's a big number. And, and people don't think about it. So when you are handling these objections, qualify if it's real, empathize if it is, give them an next point in the process, where can they go once the objection has been handled? If it isn't, you know, go back to questioning, go back to understanding what it is that they need to make the best decision for them and never come from a place of desperation when it comes to sales. Yes, we all need to pay our bills, but the most unattractive um, trait in dating is for the person to be really needy and want you more than you want them. It's exactly the same in sales. And it, it will repel people if you don't understand that your job is simply to give them the best information so that they can get the best decision for them. How that decision impacts you is none of their business and quite rightly so. And let's say if you get a no and it's a no, not right now, how would you handle the follow-up process in the best way? So. You know, again, this varies B to C, B to B, but if you were going down the B to C route, then the follow-up process is about A, staying top of mind, um, which most people do through their content marketing and, and things anyway, but also B, demonstrating you actually care about that person. It's really interesting. You know, I've been part of multiple sales processes in my life and quite a few in the online space. And, you know, we were talking about pitches on LinkedIn earlier and, and how shocking they are generally. Um, Nobody ever follows up. Once they've pitched, that's it. And they're just gone into the ether, which is why everyone's like, yeah, do it. Pitch me. No problem. Because they know that after that, it's quite likely they won't ever hear from them again. When you've had a sales call with somebody and you actually want to work with them, you actually think, oh, that person, I like that person. I could really help them. If you're not reaching out to them, you know, once every three months as a bare minimum to just be like, hey, how's it going? Or hey, you know, the price has changed my program on X date. Do you want to, you know, jump in now? Is now the right time? Or, hey, how are you going? I'm just checking in on you to make sure that things are okay. And, you know, did you end up going down that route? Or did you make a decision on this? Or did you hire another coach? Like, it's totally fine to ask. And it, it's a, a human response. And when people say to me, oh, but, you know, that's, that's hard work. Yeah, it is. It is hard work. Um, sales is not inherently difficult 
but it's a manual process to get it done well. It's a manual process. If you want to be the person who genuinely builds relationships and who genuinely, you know, um, makes money with integrity, then you need to have a place for building those relationships effectively in your business. And so people always say to me, you know, but that, that will take me ages. Well, yeah, but that's why I've got a seven figure business. It did take me ages. But guess what? Like it resonates with people because they understand that you're seeing them as a human being, not a statistic. And if we look at historically, you know, funnels and, and sales funnels and things in business, they only work really for newbies. Experienced people don't necessarily buy um, from sales funnels because I'm not, a, I'm not one of the cattle that needs to be herded into the grid. And the problem with a sales funnel is that you can't always, and a lot of people don't, personalize it where it feels like um, a personal relationship is being built. There's no opportunity to. So when we look at sales funnels and how they've changed over the last five years, it's been quite rapid. You know, it has been quite a rapid change and it will become even, um, or the gap will become even bigger because whilst it's the sexy, it seems like the sexy thing to do for salespeople. Oh, I'll just bung out a load of Facebook ads and then I'll get everybody into corralled into this challenge or this webinar or whatever. And then I'll just bung out 10 emails and it'll all be done on auto and I'll never rejig anything. That's not how people want to buy, especially when you head into a recessive market. And they want to know that they are buying from you and they're building a relationship with you. So if you never have an opportunity to be like, okay, hit reply and, you know, I'll tell you what I'm up to or hit reply. And, you know, we can chat about our favorite, you know, coffee or whatever that might be. Then actually it's really hard. It's really hard for people to get to know you. And if we take the adage, people buy from people, then you have to let people get to know you. You have to get to know them. You have to hold space for that. And in most cases, I think people often have problems with identifying where they're struggling in the sales process because many people say, hey, I don't get enough traffic or I don't have enough visibility, but in the end, they can't really convert. So when we're talking about making sales at its most basic form, sales and, and how to make sales is about two things. One is having the right eyeballs and two is having the right offer in front of the the eyeballs. Yeah. That's why there is this massive synergy between sales and marketing. Now, if you already know that even in an audience of a hundred or less, that you have some of the right eyes and, and you can always understand, like if you have the right eyes, because there'll be the people who ask good questions about what you do. There'll be the people who are actively trying in your audience to go and, you know, do the thing that you're, you're telling them to do and you're not making sales, then you have a conversion issue, even with a tiny audience. If you've got a ton of traffic and they are um, asking questions and, you know, they're, they're doing the right things and, you know, there are vast numbers of them, but then they're leaving your audience for some reason, you could have a messaging issue, right? So you've really got to go through what are the stages that people would go through to buy from me? You know, is my messaging clear? Am I clear on what I'm selling? Am I flip-flopping every five minutes to sell something else? Because that might be more profitable or I might make more money there. You know, if you're doing any of these things, you make it harder for people to buy from you every time. 
if however you're doing all of that right and you can usually find that you're doing that right if you're getting people to sales calls so if you're getting people on sales calls then generally you know we can make the assumption that your messaging is is probably relatively good that you are relatively clear about what you are putting out there and then how people can communicate with you and then you're not closing them and then you're not getting deals then your problem is the sales call piece right so we can we can actively track back is is our problem in the marketing is it you know in the clarity in the messaging in the lead generation and the quality of that or is it in the sales call the conversion the objection handling the you know ongoing um upselling and, and delivery piece and that's what people have to understand for themselves you know if, if you look at your sales process and you're completely honest about it it's where does that fall down if i'm getting people on the calls but nobody's buying okay well the assumption then is the calls are the problem and and again you you have to drill into it so it might be you know if i look at the last 10 people i had calls with were they the right kind of people and if they weren't then you go hmm, if they were the wrong people then I have the wrong messaging around the calls and that's the problem. Let me change the messaging and, and try it again. The other key thing is when you're troubleshooting a sales process, people try and change everything at once. You know, when they look at a sales page, like, I'm going to rewrite the whole thing. A, why bother? That'll take you a very long time. And, and B, if you do that, if you change everything about your process when you troubleshoot, it can seem like it's the quickest way to do it because you're like, oh, well, I'll just change everything and then it'll work. But actually it's not, it's the long route. Because even if that works, you don't know what about it works. You can't pinpoint a specific thing. So you can never make that more efficient unless you go back to trialing, okay, this bit may not be as effective. So I'm gonna change that and I'm gonna give that a week and then I'm gonna change this and then I'm gonna do that. You know, so when we're, when we're talking about sales as a whole, it's an ongoing process where you will always be refining your, um, your sales process and, and trying to make it better, trying to make it a better experience for the customer, trying to make it um, more simple, more effective. Once you've got that, then you can replicate it on auto if that's what you want to do. And for you personally, what are you doing in order to not get attached emotionally to the calls you have? Um, I'm a robot. I mean, <laughs> I joke there. The thing about that emotional attachment is that I can like a person but be completely unattached to whether their business succeeds or not. And it's one of the things that means that I can always be detached in a sales process. Because if I give somebody all of the right information and I, I give them and hold the space to let them understand where their sales process is potentially going wrong and you know how that's going to impact them moving forward and offer a solution that can meet their need and help them get there quicker and easier than they would on their own and they choose not to do it who's going to be struggling in six months it's not going to be me and, and that's the thing like your focus when you are running your business is about you it's it's about staying focused on okay well what does my business need to survive and thrive when we're having conversations b2c it can be tempting to get caught up in somebody else's story it can be tempting to buy into, oh my goodness, you know, nobody has any money right now. Nobody's doing this right now. Nobody's looking at their PR or their podcasting or their sales or their marketing right now. None of those things are true. All you can ever do and all you can ever guarantee in life is that you have ultimate responsibility and autonomy for your own business. So buying into somebody else's story on a sales call, whether they say yes or whether they say no, 
isn't really relevant to you because all you can do is continue this process of how can I make it more effective? How can I make it more efficient? Now, I can like somebody and their business can do really well. I can like somebody and their business can not do well. I'm not attached to the success of their business. If I was, my job would be a lot harder because I, I like a lot of people and I've, I've watched a lot of people over the last six years that I've been in the online space build businesses that have failed because they did get sucked into, oh, I only need to do marketing. I only need to do pay traffic. I only need a funnel. I only need this. And they didn't focus on sales basics. But the reality is, you know, my responsibility is not to coach people for free. My responsibility is not to make them feel bad about the decisions they make. My responsibility is to give them the right information that can help them make a difference. If they choose to use that information or not, it's none of my business. And so once you take that out of it, once you take your sense of responsibility for saving people Mm -hmm. out of it, you're not attached. You know, I can't be anyone's savior. I don't want people to buy from me who think I can save them because I can't. Only you can. You know, it's your business or it's your podcast or it's your sales process or your marketing process. Only you can change it. And you have to really want to do that. And so if you don't, or you don't want to listen to the advice, or you don't want to invest in the thing right now because you've got other things going on, those are absolutely your rights to do. It's not the salesperson's problem, though, because there will always be somebody else out there for every no that is out there. There'll always be somebody who's like, oh, well, I am in the right place to do this now. And I'm listening to this and I get it and I want to be successful and I want to do something differently. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be all in, right? And those are the clients that we want. We want the people who are, I am all in on getting booked onto X amount of shows this year. I am all in on having the best sales process that I can have. I'm all in on, on getting corporate clients and adding a revenue stream. You don't want the people you've had to drag through the sales process who are like, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, maybe this isn't the right fit. Maybe I need to think about it. Maybe I need to do this. Because if you have to drag them through the sales process, you're going to have to drag them through everything else. And I don't know about you, but I can't be bothered to do that with clients. Like if you've made the decision that you want a business and you want it to be the best that it can be, and you want it to be fun and you want it to be simple. Great. I'm your girl. But if you're half assed and you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I really want about my business. And I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to take risks and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to put in the work required. Then no, I don't want you as a client right now. In six months when you've made those decisions, yeah, maybe, you know, but not right now. And, and so that's your job. Your job is not to get attached to their story. Your job is to get attached to, am I giving the best information I can to help them make the best decision for them? That's all your attachment is on. Yeah. Thank you so much. And do you still have a last key takeaway, a personal insight that helped you grow that you would like to share? My, I think my personal takeaway is production, not perfection. You know, there are, there are so many times in the online space that I watch people struggle because they spend so much time on stuff that is the perfect vision of their business, right? They try and get the perfect website. They rewrite their copy a thousand times. They spend hours in Canva trying to make the perfect graphics. Honestly, I made six figures in my business without a website, without Canva graphics, without, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. So you don't need those things to succeed. They make you feel better about what's going out into the world. And the reality is that it's not about how pretty something looks or, you know, how many pages you've got on a website or whether it's finished or not. 
it's about actually starting the task that you want to see the results from. So if you're sat there and thinking, I want to make more money, just start doing sales activities. You know, stop thinking about, oh, well, you know, in order to do the sales activity, I need to get the website and I need to do this and I need to do that. Because you don't, you know, and, and it's ultimately just procrastination on the task at hand, which is at some point you are going to have to sell. Like you're going to have to sell you. You're going to have to step away from the awkwardness that you feel about selling you instead of selling a brand that you used to work for or whatever that might look like. But if you don't start, you will never make it any better. You'll never get to the point where you can troubleshoot anything. So, you know, just crack on, I guess. And how can people get in touch with you? Um, if you want to get in touch with me, I have a podcast. I have two podcasts actually, because I'm greedy. Um, you, the best bet is to listen to those. I have one that's based all around selling business to consumer. It's called Smart Leaders Sell. And I have one that's all about selling to corporates and it's called selling to corporate. Um, so those are the best places to have a look depending on what you want to sell. Thank you so much for all of these great tips and for everyone who's watching or listening. We would love to hear what your favorite takeaway was from today. And please make sure to share it on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook and make sure to tag us so we see what resonated with you. Thank you so much for listening. If you don't want to miss out on future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and be sure to leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. And check out the show notes for a deeper dive on what you heard today.